Coming up this hour, we're going to talk coronavirus during Holy Week. We're also going to hear from a pastor that's a mutual friend of both of ours. And in a common good first, a friend of mine wrote a song about the coronavirus. That and more is coming up here on The Common Good. Everyone, welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. First off, hello. How are you? Hello. Good to hear you today. Good to hear you as well. Good to, in theory, hear all of you. If you want to find us, you can. <laughs> you can go to Facebook, uh, the Common Good Radio Show, and that's where we post all of our articles, and you can send us messages if you have suggestions for the show. You can also go to 1160hope.com slash the common good or wherever it is you get your podcasts. If that is you, if you're a podcaster, uh, subscribing, rating, and reviewing does all help us out a whole lot. And maybe, maybe just hit that share button, send it with, you know, with some love to a friend that would help us a, a whole lot because uh, every little bit helps. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that Brian and I have been doing sort of start the show the last few weeks is one to kind of just check in, see how we're doing, whatever we're reading or grappling with. Uh, but in particular, I also want to talk about Holy week and particularly today being Monday, Thursday, um, Brian and I are both pastors. So this is a unique season for both of us in how we're processing through how to lead a church and care for a family and all those things. So question one, Brian, how are you? How are you staying sane? Are you staying sane? What's going on in the Fromm household? It depends who in the house you talk to. Touche, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, we're doing well over here. And uh, like you said, it is just still so interesting to be in the midst of Holy Week. There was just a, uh, uh, on CNN this morning, there was a headline that was really sobering. It said, one of the models right now for peak um, fatalities in our country is Easter Sunday. And I don't know, you know, wow. that, that makes it no less tragic than a different day, but there was something poignant about it that it was like, wow, Easter Sunday, like that's crazy. Right, and so right. uh, to see that it raises again, and I, I sound like a broken record. I know every day that we talk about this, but just that dichotomy of going about normal life while still at our houses and enjoying my time with my family, uh, doing all of that while at the same time, all of this uh, tragedy and heartache going on around us in the midst of Easter. It's all right, just a, right. it's a really strange stew that makes for a time like nothing we've ever experienced before. Yeah, that's, I, that's continues to be true here. And whenever anybody asks, Hey, how are you doing? I like never really know how to answer. Like it's, right. yeah, my two and one year old are acting like two and one year olds and we're feeling a little stir crazy in the Weather was great for a couple of days, and now it, now we're starting to feel like, oh man, I miss the sunshine, I miss the warmth. But you know, I'm super grateful uh, to still be able to work. I'm incredibly grateful for my wife who cares so beautifully for our kids. And there's there's a lot of like little moments where even I can just poke upstairs for a minute and just yeah. wrestle with them for a second, and then I, you know, run back to the basement to start working again. But yeah, I, I feel uh, really grateful, really fortunate, but it is, it is a weird sort of twilight zone space, especially, especially with Easter. I saw that same headline, that same article. And that, that kind of struck me as well. Like this being Holy weekend on Easter. And I want to talk a little bit about that. I don't know if you guys traditionally celebrate Holy week. Do you guys typically do anything on like Monday, Thursday or good Friday? uh, Oh, we definitely do. Yeah, we do a good Friday service and uh, we're going to do a toned down one this year on Facebook live. Um, we do not we do not normally do Monday Thursday, but I did put out a, like a little video to our people today to talk about mm-hmm. Monday Thursday. Uh, and so I wouldn't say that we follow Holy Week in a sense of like on this day on this day, but I do try to do uh, I do try to get our people 
looking past just Easter Sunday or even just Good Friday and Easter and see the totality of the week. Uh, but yeah, we'll do something quick on Good Friday this week uh, on Facebook Live that I'm looking forward to because Good Friday for me always sets the tone uh, for them, the great celebration of Easter. They, they get, they're, they're very, um, they, they go together very much for me. So I'm excited for that. Yeah, I, I wrote a thing this morning about Monday Thursday. Um, it's something I didn't actually realize. So Monday Thursday comes from the Latin word mondatum, mondatum, which simply means commandment. And in fact, it's the same word that Jesus used when he said, a new command I give you, love one another in John 13. And it's interesting because I feel like the scene has become so popular, right? Jesus washing the disciples' feet. That's right. And we see it, you know, in wedding ceremonies now. It's, it's almost like you don't even need to be a church person to be familiar with this scene. But for some reason, I don't know why this year, it just really struck me. Like the idea that he washed the feet of even the one who would betray him. Like to me, yeah. just hit me like a ton of bricks. It was like, who we're to serve and love has nothing to do with whether or not that person deserves it. That's right. You know what I mean? That's right. Like, that was just a react. I don't know why that never really stood out to me before. And maybe it's because we're experiencing this like physical distance right now that how we're even to love one another or serve one another still feels like a big question mark, but there's something it was haunting, but also kind of convicting this. Like if, if Monday Thursday means like command Thursday, right? This command to love and serve one another for, for Jesus to relinquish the crown and take on an apron, he had to serve, mm. to stoop down really, really low. Yeah. I mean, this wasn't just like an odd thing to do. It was like scandalous. Like everyone yeah. in the room been looking around wondering, where's the servant that's supposed to do this? And then they see the rabbi doing it. Like, I don't know. It, it's such a surprising scene. That's and right. I think, man, for Easter in 2020, there's been a lot of surprises for us and there's just something, yeah. there's just something about the, the center of the story that really struck me this year. Yeah. I, I love the part of the story where Peter of course is the one arguing with Jesus. You can't do this. And then Peter's like, well then wash my whole body. <laughs> like, yeah. Right. Like he just completely, completely flips. <laughs> it's the most Peter thing ever, but I do, you know, that's what I, I did a little video for our people on that story as well this morning. And so much of our teaching on that is normally like, Hey, Jesus is, in washing of their feet, he's basically showing them a picture of what he's about to do when he lays down his life at the cross. But that misses such a huge part of it because he says, like you said, the word command, he's like, now this is how you go live your life right now. Right. Like now you go do that. And that's just, when you really think about what Jesus did there, he had by right, he should have been served. He should have had the place of honor. And instead he stooped down and did the, the role of the servant. And that's what he's going to do when he goes to the cross. And he says, now this is how you treat your, each other. And this is how you treat everybody. Um, a lot of times we like to skip over that part because that's no fun, right? right? We, we like to be served and we like to be honored. And Jesus says, no, to follow me is to lay down your life, is to take on the role of the servant. And I'm going to show you what that looks like. That's what Monday, Thursday is all about. And I, I thought this was, I have two, uh, two articles that we posted to the Facebook page that we're not going to really reference here in this segment, but they kind of help frame the day. And there's a, a quote in the Christianity Today article from Deanna A. Thompson, who is writing about uh, digital communion. So yeah. when we think about Monday, Thursday, and we think about, um, I know a lot of churches celebrate in a lot of different ways, but yep. Uh, here's what Deanna wrote. It's uh, communing together virtually with our faith communities can affirm the reality that our bodies are engaged in worship. Even when we're participating from our living room, that we're still connected to the other bodies gathered virtually for worship, even when we can only see photos of them online. And that Christ comes to us in the gifts of bread and wine 
even when our pastor's words of institution are mediated by a screen. Mm. I, I just thought that was so pastoral. I was just so timely. And I think, yeah. you know, I love how it ends. It says, in any adaptation, we should stoke our appetites by hungering and thirsting for the real thing like Jesus did. And when we are all together again, mm. we can throw a party. Like Absolutely. there's just something beautiful about looking forward to whenever that day is. And I just, I just found that really encouraging. Oh my gosh. That first day that we're back together, yeah, uh, man. whenever it's like all, all, uh, you know, when it, I mean, when we're really together, because I think initially there's going to be times where it's still separate and whatever else. But that first time we're all together and we're celebrating something like communion together or we're singing together. Oh, I, I, it gives me chills just to think about it. I, I, I'm almost surprised how much I'm longing for that day. Like, I really can't wait for that day again. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you, man. And we hope that that at the very least is helpful while, you know, a lot of us are kind of just steeped in the day-to-day to remember to keep looking forward, right? Yeah. Uh, to be present in this moment, but remember that uh, God is still walking with us. He still weeps with us. And I think I'm trying to do a better job of reminding myself that more consistently. And I think that's as important now as it ever has been. Well, coming up next, there's a, a pastor that Brian Fromm and I actually both know through a very interesting turn of events. He uh, shared a video with his church, and I wanted to share that audio with you because I thought it was really timely. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. If you want to find us on Facebook, you can do that. That is The Common Good radio show. I don't know why I paused so dramatically. It's, it's really like you forgot. <laughs> it is like I, I was just staring off in the distance, wondering what was I in the middle of saying. Um, but yeah, that's where we post all of our articles. You can send us messages if you have suggestions or ideas. You can also find us at 1160hope.com slash the common good or wherever it is you get your podcasts. And uh, I'll say it again. If you wouldn't mind subscribing, rating, and reviewing, that would help us out a whole lot. Brian, I think they can ask Alexa. Is that right? I think so. I would, I would oh assume my. so. How? How is this still a thing? I keep having these moments of thinking, I got to go do that right now, but then I'm not by it. And then I just, I'm old and forgetful now. What's the happen. furthest distance you're ever from Alexa in your house? The irony is I'm not even sure I know where Alexa is at the moment in our house, <laughs> but I'm sure my wife does. So I will, I need to check with her. I, I'll check with her. Don't worry about it. Okay. <laughs> Alexa, where's my wife? <laughs> All right. So b- before we play his audio, uh, this is Pastor Andrew Brackman. Do you want to explain how we both know him? It is really strange. Really, this is like that old game, Six Degrees of Separation or Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, right? Right. Uh, but in the ministry context, uh, Andrew Brackman uh, and I grew up in the same church, a small church in New Jersey. He's like, I would guess, five or six years younger than me. But his family and our family were in that church basically my entire childhood uh, until I went off to college. He is now... Uh, I believe the associate pastor of that church that we grew up in, in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And so I, Andrew and I go back to our childhoods. Uh, like I said, it wasn't like we were friends because he's like five or six years younger than me. Yeah. He's a uh, child. Right. But, uh, but close family friends growing up. And so when we figured out that, you know, him as well in a completely different way, it was kind of mind blowing. He also was the associate pastor at my home church, the church <laughs> I grew up in, in Dearborn, Michigan. Now he wasn't hired until after I had moved out to Illinois for school and job and all of that. But yeah, he's still really close with a lot of uh, my family and friends and, he had shared this video and a bunch of people from that church, Fairland Alliance Church in Dearborn, by the way, great church. Love that family. Um, 
and I listened to it and I thought, gosh, this is so timely and so good. I'm just going to play it and then uh, we'll react. And then afterwards I'll ask Andrew if it's okay that we play it. And uh, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully he says yes. Either way, he, uh, he entitles this video because you woke up and it's just him out for a walk. It's based on Psalm three. So this is pastor Andrew Brackman because you woke up. Hey everybody. I wanted to bring you a, a, a thought that God struck me with. It was last week. I was walking and praying and I thought I would read Psalm, I would pray Psalm 3 for our church and for my family and myself. Uh, Psalm 3, David wrote when he was having trouble with his son Absalom. Absalom was trying to take away the whole kingdom from King David. Uh, Imagine your son, your own family member, somebody you loved and trusted, trying to take everything away. So David was in the midst of major turmoil, major troubles. Similar, perhaps, to the kind of uh, trials and difficulties that we're in now, where, where the whole world is turned upside down. David was in a time when the world was turned upside down against him. And so he starts to describe, in the first few verses, his emotions, how everything is, uh, it seems like is against him. He cries out to the Lord. And then in verse 5, when I read this, it, I just stopped. It made me stop. He says, I laid down and went to sleep. I woke up for the Lord sustained me. In the midst of his troubles, he went to bed like we all do. The next morning he woke up and he realized the reason he woke up is because the Lord woke him up. The Lord sustained him. It got me thinking about all the systems that I don't control that sustain, that God has used to sustain me. My own circulatory, my respiratory, my whole body system stays awake even though I'm asleep. It still functions, though I haven't been telling it to while I rest. The world goes on, the universe, the the galaxies are all in motion, and we arise in a new day, and God calls us up from bed and says, I've given you this day on purpose. And then the next verse is amazing. With that mindset, with that acknowledgement that God is the one who woke him up, that God is the one who gave him today, despite all the troubles that he's in, he says in verse six, so I'm going to face armies of 10,000 and I'm not afraid. What? David is willing and ready with confidence and trust in his Lord to face insurmountable odds, to face a whole world coming against him just because of the miracle of waking up. He acknowledges that that is a miracle. It's a gift from God that God has sustained sustained him for one more day, which means he's planted him in this day. David says to God, I acknowledge that I'm here on purpose, that I'm breathing now on purpose, that no matter how big the troubles that I'm facing are, I don't face them alone. And he closes the little Psalm, Psalm 3, with this, the Lord is my salvation. May God be your salvation and sustenance today. He's put you here on purpose. There's no mistake. Because you woke up, God sustained you, and he has you here. I love you all. All right, that was short, but it, it packed a punch. Brian, what would you think? Oh, man, it was, uh, it was really good. First of all, watching it again, being that my context for Andrew is as a child, it's like, well, right. it, you know, it kind of catches me. Um, but really timely, man. I love what he said out of Psalm 3. And uh, I think some, the, the simplicity of, uh, not even the simplicity, there's a depth to that imagery of, 
you can face anything because you woke up today. Like God right. sustains you, right. uh, your heartbeat, your, uh, your, your circulatory system, all of this stuff. And so therefore, uh, that is a sign, the very fact that you woke up, that God is sustaining you so you can face anything and trust that God is with you. Not trust that it's going to go great. You don't know how things are going to turn out. But trust that God is, is sustaining us and is present. I thought that was a powerful look at Psalm 3, uh, one that I never really looked at. You know, that's one of the beauty of the Psalms. There's a lot that I haven't looked at that uh, we're doing so much work in the Psalms now through this pandemic is coming out. So I'm, I'm super grateful for what Andrew talked about there out of Psalm 3. Yeah, and I just think he's got a lot of like just pastoral sensitivity. I, uh, I did a video yesterday. We've been doing this Bible reading plan on some pretty obscure passages in the Old Testament. And a lot of them kind of been centered around this idea of, of not fearing. Yeah. And it was out of Isaiah 46, where he's talking about um, these Babylonian gods that can never sustain you. In fact, they're a burden to you. And then he says in verse three, listen to me, you descendants of Jacob, all the remnant of the people of Israel, you whom I have upheld since your birth and have carried you since you were born, even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he, I am he who will sustain you. I've mm. made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. And I thought, what a juxtaposition of these gods that you carry, these idols, really, they yeah. eventually weigh you down. They're going to crush you. I'm the God that carries you. Whatever it is you're carrying, whatever you're burdened by, I'm the one who's carrying you. And I, I just thought that with Andrew's Psalm three meditation to me, it was like, all right, God, I'm listening. Like it just felt yes. so <laughs> yes. know, once in a while, just something seems to be, you get like four or five messages that are all kind of this laser focus around the same idea. And you're like, okay, <laughs> yeah, I got yeah. it. Like I'm, I'm hitting pause. And I just, I don't know. I'm really grateful for, for pastor Andrew. And I having known him for a while now, he's always been someone that's impressed me just not only with his like biblical knowledge, but like, his wisdom and pastoral sensitivity and just that whole notion that you're here on purpose, that you're yeah. not just, yeah. you're not just a spec. You didn't just survive. Then like you're here, you were made on purpose for a purpose. And, uh, I feel like now more than ever, that's some, something we need to remember, you know? Yeah, I just want to now, you know, having heard it, I want to tomorrow when I wake up, just pray a prayer. God, thanks for sustaining me. Like just the fact that I woke up this morning. Uh, it's really powerful. So I'm grateful. Uh, someday we'll do a segment. I'll just tell you stories from his childhood, though. So maybe that'll that'll change your view of him. But well, why know, don't we get his permission for playing the audio first? And then, can, <laughs> and then we'll get him on. <laughs> then we can cross that bridge. Yeah. <laughs> thanks. Thanks to Pastor Andrew Absolutely. and all you're doing. We're really, really grateful for you. Coming up next, here's the headline. Will coronavirus hasten the demise of religion or herald its revival? That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, and I am stir-crazy. Are you, Brian Fromm, stir-crazy? Are you little bit, a little bit of like, oh, you know, what, what can I do today that's any different? And the, and yeah. the days are starting to feel the same, right? A little bit of a Groundhog Day. A little bit of Groundhog right? Day. That's, yep. That is for sure. If you want to find us, you can. We're on uh, Facebook. We're on the Facebooks, as we like to say, the Common Good Radio Show. That's where we post all of our articles. You can send us messages. We're also podcasted. We're also on Twitter at Common Good Talk. That's the same for Instagram. And uh, you can go to 1160hope.com slash the common good there. You can get the podcast. You can watch our intro video from over a year ago where Brian Fromm and I are so nervous looking and we're just yes. sort of awkwardly smiling at the camera for a few minutes. 
And then they asked us, what's the show going to be about? And we're both kind of like, uh, I don't know. I don't even know this guy and I'm sitting next to you yet. Yeah, right. Why are we sitting so close? This is strange. Uh, an article that I saw a couple of people sharing from The Spectator, it says, will coronavirus hasten the demise of religion or herald its revival? The lockdown is testing believers of all stripes. And it's, re- it's really fascinating. And it's something that you and I have kicked around a little bit. Before that, though, I want to first mention Thrive. It's a thriving financial. It's a lovely Fortune 500 nonprofit serving its members for over 100 years. And I encourage you in general just to check them out. But if you've ever wanted to be your own boss or use your entrepreneurial skills or come alongside people and help them with their journey, uh, I think this could be a great fit for you. So you can go to thrivent.com slash careers or 630-598-2128. That's thrivent.com slash careers or 630-598-2128. Now, with this article, Yes. Uh, I don't know that we've ever done anything out of The Spectator. I don't think so. It feels very regal. It's from the UK, so that maybe that's part of it. Um, I'd love to know first what's really going on here, and then I'd love to know a little bit more about Brian Fromm's prediction and speculation in light yeah. of this. Yeah, so uh, it, it's trying to get at what's the result in Christianity going to be in the church uh, when when the coronavirus uh, is kind of in the rearview mirror. And so it says this, Christian thinkers are split into two broad camps. Those who believe the crisis will lead to a religious revival and those who think it will hasten the demise of organized religion, resurgence or ruination, which one will it be? And so it lays out the case for both of them. It says the case for resurgence could be summed up by the phrase, there are no atheists in foxholes. Hmm. Uh, that came out of, they think, out of World War II, um, and so uh, that all the t- a lot of times in our history that when there has been great tragedy or there has been a conflict or war, uh, people have become more religious and run to their faith. And the author says the argument for revival doesn't rest solely on historical analogy. And they bring up some quote, some stats that you and I talked about the other day that the Google searches for prayer are doubling with every 80,000 new registered cases of the coronavirus. Wow. Uh, 55% of Americans have prayed for an end of the pandemic, that Bible sales are up. And so the, the case for revival is that tragedy and, and difficulty draws people to the faith. Uh, but then it says, uh, what if it's not, in fact, a catalyst for spiritual revival? What if after the lockdown is lifted, the pews remain empty? Some sociologists, they write, believe that the coronavirus is a dire threat to Western Christianity. Hmm. They predict that the disease will speed up the already fast drop in church going, that as donations fall, church schools, hospitals, homeless shelters, parishes, and even cathedrals will struggle to survive. And so what they're trying to say there as background is, and you and I talked about these ad nauseum over the past, you know, 15 months that, you know, you've got all of these people, especially younger generations, no longer going to church. And the point of the article is that maybe that now that people aren't allowed in church, it's going to kind of push them over the edge. Why go back? Why go back at all? Uh, And so it goes back and forth. I wonder uh, which of those do you find more compelling? Because it's really the two poles. The answer might be in the middle. Uh, but it's really the two poles of revival or ruination. And I don't know which one you lean towards here. Well, a little later, uh, they quote from Stephen Boulevant, who wrote the book Mass Exodus. He studied uh, Catholic attrition in Britain and America, uh, offers three reasons why he believes churches will shrink after the pandemic. So these are the three. 
First, he says, churchgoers, both lay and clergy, tend to be elderly and therefore more likely to die of coronavirus. Second, many churches rely on a steady influx of immigrants with the world in lockdown that supply has at least temporarily dried up. And third, churchgoing is a habit, and once that habit is broken, it is hard to take it up again. So that is a pretty bleak picture, if you ask me. It's interesting, and you and I probably have a pretty myopic experience, to be honest, because we're both pastors, so we've dedicated our lives to this. I keep getting emails from people that are like, man, I cannot wait until we meet again. Like it's right. It's right. I'm not, maybe, maybe I, maybe they're not sending messages like that to their pastor where they're like, man, I gotta, I gotta tell you, I don't think I'm ever going back or I'm, I'm never picking this habit back up or I've, I've, I've preferred it this way. I mean, I have heard a little bit of that. Yeah. Um, But yeah, the general sense seems to be, and maybe to their point, those are like already the diehards, right? They're already, they're already kind of committed there. And we talked about consumer Christianity yesterday or the day before. And so that's a part of it. Um, but yeah, I don't know how to predict, to be honest. It's a very strange thing to even be in the church world now having to, cause we, you know, like you were saying, the adrenaline's dropped off a little bit. So we're, we're into strategy now and like at community, we're reaching more people than I think we ever have, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And the, the level of attention and engagement on the digital platform is like through the roof and that team's been doing a great job. So I don't know. I'm, I'm curious what the, what the hybrid will look like going forward. And I, I don't really know. Do you, do you have a sense? I don't, you know, I like how this article ends. It talks about Chesterton, um, GK Chesterton. And, and he wrote the, the article ends here for decades. Now observers have declared that Christianity is dying. Rampant secularization coupled with coronavirus will only seem to bring forward uh, the obsequies. I'm not sure what that word is. Yeah, that's uh, right. But Christianity began amid defeat and despair. And if Chesterton is right, this won't be the end rather than a new beginning. And I think that's where I go. I think, uh, I, you know, whether it's revival or just a peaked interest in church coming out of this, because I think people are going to be longing for things where there's community, uh, asking the hard questions. I do think church very well might look different. Yeah. Um, and so... Uh, is there a ref, you know, is there a reforming coming on? Will it look different when we finally come out of this? I like how the article ends calling it a new beginning. I don't believe in the ruination of the church. I certainly believe there are people who were marginal, uh, at best in their connection to the church where this might push them over the edge, uh, of not reconnecting, but I don't think there's going to be this mass exodus from the church. I really don't. I think there's going to be a renewed excitement, uh, early on, but I also think there'll be a renewed discussion of what is the purpose of the church? What have we learned? What needs to be different? I do think that's going to be a healthy conversation that's going to go on. Well, what I'm curious about then, we have like a minute left. What, yep. what, how do you strategize then thinking, all right, so if your premise is right, that people who were maybe not completely invested will be the ones that are, will be most likely not to return or at least not for a while. How do you sort of reframe your, your evangelistic strategies as a pastor for like re-engaging people that were like kind of on the fringes, but went because it was convenient or because a spouse yeah. made them or like, how do you rethink some of those things? I don't know about how I rethink that. One thing I have been doing, and this is one of the benefits of being in a little bit of a smaller context is I've been trying to stay up with those people now. Like I've been right. trying to text them, email them now. Cause right now most pastors bent is to probably stay with your, your leaders and your most committed people, which are important also. 
But I've been trying to go through our list going, hey, who's probably on the fringe a little bit? And just touching base right now, I think that makes it more likely that they'll give you a shot when you come back out of this. Um, how have you guys talked about that? Because you guys probably have, I know we don't have much time here, but you guys probably for a bigger church, therefore have more numbers of people who kind of come and go. Have you given that some thought? Well, yeah. And to what you were just sharing too, we, uh, we've divided up in teams and like we're, we're calling and texting everybody, yep. you know, yep. and, and that's, it's, it's, it's been really cool. I saw a screenshot even just this morning from somebody else who was like, man, hearing, hearing from my church family has been such a gift to me today. Like yep. you're, and you're not, selling anything you're not you know it's not uh, there's no ask it's just hey how how are you like we want to be the body of christ we want to be the family of god and we just want to check in so that's yep. been really cool just to see the responsiveness from people and all that and uh yeah i'm really really grateful for Agreed. that but coming up next i think it's a common good first a friend of mine uh just wrote a song about this whole coronavirus pandemic and it is beautiful and so we asked her permission she's going to share that song with us here next on the common good on am 1160 hope for your life everyone welcome back back to the common good my name is ian simpkins along with brian Fromm. you can find us on facebook the common good radio show 1160hope.com slash the common good or wherever it is you get your podcasts and i gotta tell you i'm so excited i know that this is uh, a common good first at least in this fashion we've had musicians and songwriters on the show before um but abby my friend abby and uh i've played and recorded with abby before brilliant musician and songwriter she wrote a song kind of about this current moment that we're experiencing right now. And uh, it's beautiful. And I have this side project called Beauty in the Common. And I had written all of these artists that we've worked with and asked them if they were writing or working on anything. And here's hers. And I want to give a little bit of context. Here's what she wrote. She said, the song is called uh, Nienna. Nienna is a character from Tolkien's The Silmarillion. She's the goddess of grief who lives alone in a garden on the edge of the world. She feels all the brokenness in the world, grieves it and weeps, but her tears are not in vain. They aren't just for the sake of suffering. Her tears are important. Nina's tears fall on the earth and from them, hope, wisdom, endurance, and gentleness grow up into our world. And then she says this, I love this. She said, I hope that hearing the song will be a comfort to anyone who is hurting in this time, whether they've lost someone or their job or their business or feeling the ache of isolation or anxiety. The pain is real. So is the transformation and growth that can happen as we hold on to hope. So, that's the context for this brilliant song, Nienna, from my friend Abby Raja Sekhar. Take a listen. Once there was a void, and the void was filled with music, and the sky was filled with light. Every garden filled with life. The most beautiful of all were the children who lived there they could do wonderful things or create such suffering oh the earth groans in birth oceans Children struggle in the sun, in the garden, 
We don't have a lot of time, but what did you think? I mean, it's you love to hear artists uh, pouring out their heart, and uh, I'm really thankful that that takes guts to put that out there, and so really thankful. I just love that chorus that says, all the pain and the brokenness gather up in the clouds, the tears will rain down on the fields where we live, trees of wisdom and gentleness, flowers of hope will grow up from the ground in the fields where we live. Like, that's poetic, and it's our hope that from the tears of pain will come some fruit that that will be uh that will be powerful yeah and then she's always just really been a brilliant lyricist like it just reads like a modern day psalm a little bit doesn't like one of the things that uh, i got to work with her on and she wrote uh, an entire album about the life of david and the various different like stages that he went through and it just it was thematic and, and beautiful but poetic and I don't know. We, we've read some poetry on the show the last couple of weeks, which is not normally a thing we do. And uh, we've invited people to record like spoken word, like stuff that they're processing through or thinking through. 
Um, but I'm, I'm just so grateful that there are artists and songwriters and poets who are processing what we're all going through and then turning it into something beautiful because right. there is something really kind of healing, I think, about um, not just the writing process, but also just simply hearing a song. And I, uh, I hope that we'll see more of that because I, I would love for this to be a place where we can share some of those things. So that's not available anywhere. She's not <laughs> that. that's, that's, a, that's a common good exclusive. And uh, I'm so, so grateful for my friend Abby and her willingness to share that song with us. And I just think that's absolutely wonderful. Well, coming up next, uh, we're going to cover a whole lot of important topics, but we're really excited to have via Zoom a guest that we've quoted maybe more than any other guest, and that is Pastor Scott Sauls. That's coming up in the second hour here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope you're Hey everyone, it's Ian Simpkins here. And I remember the first time that I actually learned about Thriving Financial. I was pastoring a church in Bartlett and me and two other pastors had this dream, this idea to better care for the marriages in our communities. And so we started to dream up this conference idea. What if we actually hosted a local conference to pour into marriages and couples in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our communities and Thriving Financial kind of came alongside and not only like made the conference possible, but they were actually interested in partnering with us as churches, as pastors, to help people not only be wise with money, but to live more generously, which was always a value that I had and always struggled to find organizations that actually wanted to help our churches do that. And so that's actually kind of the beginning of what's been a really beautiful journey and relationship with Thrive and to actually be wise with money, to live generously, and to help other people do the same. And so if that interests you, I'd encourage you to go to Thrivent.com to learn more. Coming up this hour, we're going to ask, do we really want to go back to normal? And then we're joined by Pastor Scott Sauls from Nashville. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find, you can find us all over the place. Everywhere. Even though we're quarantined, we're everywhere or at least some places facebook's one of them the common good radio show that's where we post all of our articles we have a lot of lively discussions there you can send us messages you can also like rate and review that page that helps and you can find us at 1160hope.com slash the common good wherever it is you get podcasts uh, on twitter and instagram at common good talk and i think that's enough we don't need <laughs> i don't i don't want to be doing this show I mean, like you can find us on tiktok find us at snapchat i don't think the world needs that nope um, before we dive into this article, again, the headline is, do we really want to go back to normal from Trevin Wax over at the Gospel Coalition? Brian Fromm wants to say some words at you. Yeah, that's right. During this coronavirus pandemic, we know that so many businesses have had to close their doors or reduce their hours. And we also know, though, that many businesses are still open and trying to serve the public as best they can. So if you own or run a business that's open and operating, we want to help you get the word out. So right now, go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. That's all one word, 1160hope.com slash open for business. Fill out the brief form and we'll be compiling all of that information and sharing it with our listeners. It's totally free. You're not signing up for anything. There's there's no subscription to something here. There's no Are you sure? Whatsoever. Are you sure? What it tells me. Okay. I believe but you. Do that. Go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. Way to go, Brian. Thank you. I like how you affirm me every time I read that. You always affirm me like you know my love language. To, I was going to say, I, I've, learned over, <laughs> I've learned over 15 months that that's important and I'm, 
I'm willing to do that for you because I'm also a words of affirmation guy. Yes. Uh, again, before we dive into this article, um, how excited are you for Scott Saul's coming up next? Like if anyone is, if any of you are long-term listeners of this show, it is undoubtedly, it's not even close that he is the most quoted pastor, whether it be Twitter or his blog or his books. Uh, that has been quoted the most on this show. And so the fact that he's coming on for two segments, I am just a little excited. Are we, are we going to be able to prevent from being total dweebs? Like, We're going to be Chris Farley. We're going to be Chris. Uh, do you remember when we talked about your, that one tweet? <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. Gosh, we got to get that out of our system before you change the call, man. That's not I'm <laughs> real excited for that. Real excited. So, All right, so this sure is out, out of the Gospel Coalition, Trevin Wax. Title is, Do We Really Want to Go Back to Normal? And here's how it starts. He says, here's a question that keeps coming up in conversation and online. When will things go back to normal? He says, it's natural to long for normalcy during a trial that doesn't seem to have an end date. If only we knew the future. If only we knew the specific dates when this trial would be over, we could fortify ourselves by looking ahead to that goal. Unfortunately, the aspect of a trial that makes it so, well, trying, is that we don't see as far ahead as we'd like. We don't. Uh, know how long it will last. That's why it's natural to. Um, that's why it's natural to want what is normal. But the truth is, whatever will become normal on the other side of the coronavirus crisis will not be the old normal. It will be something new. We are not going back. So here's the question. I hope we will begin to ask instead: Do we really want to go back to normal? Was the old normal good? Were we really flourishing in the old normal? Was the old normal spiritually healthy? Hmm. And I'll stop there. That's a whole mess of convicting questions. What, what yeah. do you think of this general premise that he's setting up here? I think it's, it's the question that needs to be asked because, mm-hmm. as we said, I believe, in the first hour, uh, whether it be for churches or our society as a whole or families, everything, this has been like one giant pause button. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to come out of this differently, right? Like, we, we're, you, anything this big and this tragic changes you it changes you as people as churches but then also just the distancing from one another right uh, changes us and so it is appropriate to ask the question what is that new normal going to look like what are things that we don't want to be part of that new normal i do think it is a chance uh churches and society as a whole to go okay let's make some changes going forward because of what we learned during the global pandemic let me read he outlines some of what the old normal looks like Yep. Looked like, I guess. He said Americans have been interacting less with their neighbors as the years go by, choosing instead the virtual neighborhoods of Facebook and Instagram, often at the expense of knowing the names and stories of the people who live yards away. He says it's hard to follow Jesus' command to love your neighbor when you don't know your, your neighbor's name. He says in the past 30 years, our commitments have grown looser with civic groups on the decline as well as a drop in church attendance. Fewer and fewer Christians attend church every week preferring a hit-and-miss pattern that easily allows other responsibilities and leisure activities to impinge upon the regular rhythm of meeting together. Family time has suffered. Parents are more and more focused on job security and maximizing their efficiency while ensuring they have enough time left over to binge-watch the latest offering on Netflix. We are more committed to consuming entertainment than we are to cultivating or creating something. We eat out more and cook less. We're less likely to pick up an instrument or learn a new craft. We play more games on our phone than we do with our families and friends. Mm-hmm. Reading has shifted away from deep concentration required by books in favor of news flashes and commentaries. We digest as bite-sized chunks of information while scrolling on social media. 
Political polarization has increased in part due to an overfocus on national politics to the neglect of the community closest to us and the places we could actually make the most difference by catastrophizing. That's not the right way to say that. <laughs> catastrophizing. No, I think you had it right the first time. I don't think so. That was like six too many syllables. Uh, whatever happens at the national level, the fever of D.C. anxiety spreads to the whole country, leaving us restless and suspicious. And he goes on and says the list could go on. The deaths of despair, the opioid crisis, our loss of social solidarity and moral bearings, the evidence of lingering racial disparities and a weary sense of meaningless, uh, meaninglessness across the country. That's the old normal. So I'm wondering when when you hear or read those things all list out like that. Yeah. Do you agree with them or is it like additionally overwhelming just to hear it that way? Or is it sort of like, gosh, yeah, old normal maybe wasn't all that great. Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit painting with a broad brush, which you have sure. to do there. But but I do think he's touching on a bunch of things, right? We interact with less with our neighbors. A lot of these are things you and I have talked about over the last 15 months or so. Um, well, let's not end on the negative then. Why, why don't you read some of what he's proposing as the new normals? Yeah, the new normal. I, I really, these are challenging. He says, the question we should ask then is when, uh, is not when will we get back to normal, but should we want to get back to normal? And the follow-up question is, what should the new normal be? So here's what he asks. What if this crisis is a divine disruption that allows us to rethink ourselves, to rethink our lives and reconsider our habits? What if this crisis is a divine opportunity to reflect on what matters most? What if we now have the opportunity to make different decisions, to prayerfully discern how to create and cultivate a new and better normal? What if we now have the chance to reset our expectations, to refocus our attention on what matters most, and to recommit to the people that we are called to love and to serve? What if this season of total reliance on technology for spreading communication helps us to see the limits of technology? Uh, what if this period of social isolation can help us see the end result of radical individualism's trajectory so that in the end, we come out of our enclaves and homes with a stronger commitment to our communities, our churches, and our country. Let's not go back to normal, he writes. Let's come away from this challenge with a new vision of what normal can be. I think those are great questions. So he doesn't answer them for us, right? He doesn't say, right. here's what the new normal should be. Right. But he's saying things like, maybe before we were too busy. Maybe we were too individualistic. Maybe we mm. were too politicized. Maybe we weren't focused enough on our families or the people closest to us. And to allow this shock to the system to go, wait a minute, I have enjoyed some of being with my family a lot. I have missed being with people. I have don't really like technology as much as that. Like, I think he asks some of the right questions for us to then go and all answer for ourselves as to what the new normal is going to be. Are, are you hopeful that any of these normals are actually possible? Like as you read them, as you think about your own family and church and community and neighborhood, like, is there a sense, do you have a gut feeling as to the viability or likelihood of some of those new normals? I think uh, the the answer to that's probably somewhere in the middle, right? Like we'll get 50% of the way there, right? Like we're going to go back and we're going to get busy again, yeah, but right. maybe we don't have to be as busy as we were. Uh, we're going to, you know, lose sight of, of some of the stuff we learned here, but maybe it, it sunk in enough that it makes some change. Kind of like after 9-11 where we were all super patriotic and super cohesive and it wore away but hopefully some of it stuck. And so I would say if, you know, if, he, if we're even 50% changed in some of these ways, I think that's a huge deal. And especially around the, the value of community, the value of family, the value of what's most important. I think if those things change, it will be a lot better for it. 
And I think it's probably a question worth asking and asking again and asking again, too, because it's one thing to be raising these questions while we're in the midst of it. But like you were saying, we all have a certain sense of spiritual amnesia, too, and we can go back to old patterns and old old habits pretty uh, seamlessly. So I think some of these, honestly, I want to like type up and post in front of my desk or something. So I'm kind of forced to ask them and re-ask them over and over again, because I think that's important. Well, coming up next, I guess that Brian and I are very excited about Scott Sauls. He's got a new book coming out called The Gentle Answer, available on June 2nd. And he's the writer of a really profound blog and the pastor of a church. She's going to join us for two segments coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. If you want to find us on Facebook, you can. The Common Good Radio Show. That's where we post all of our articles, and you can send us messages for suggestions for the show. You can also find us at 1160hope.com slash the common good on Twitter and Instagram at common good talk and wherever it is you get fine podcasts. If you are a podcaster, thank you for listening. If you wouldn't mind subscribing, rating and reviewing all of that does somehow really magically help us out. And we appreciate that very much. And to say that I'm excited about our next guest would be a massive understatement. It is no exaggeration that he's likely the most quoted person in this show's history. He's a pastor. He's an author. He's got a new book coming out June 2nd called A Gentle Whisper. Our next guest is none other than Scott Sauls. Welcome to the show, sir. Thanks, Ian, Brian. It's good to be with you guys. Thank you. Likewise. I'm wondering, just to kind of get us started, would you introduce yourself to our audience in whatever way you see fit? Uh, sure. Um, I, I'm uh, married uh, to Patty. I have two daughters, Abby and Ellie. One's about to graduate high school. The other's about to graduate college. And I'm a pastor in Nashville at a church called Christ Presbyterian Church. And uh, we've been in, <coughs> excuse me, we've been in ordained ministry for about 25 years now. Uh, planted a couple of churches and then uh, uh, and the cities we've been in uh, include Kansas City and St. Louis and New York before mm. Nashville. So been in Nashville for eight years. Right on. That's great, Scott. Uh, wondering, we've been asking all pastors this that we've had on uh, with how different life is in the last couple of weeks. How has it changed for you? What's it been like for you uh, pastoring in this kind of time of a global pandemic? Uh, I mean, it's been a challenge for sure. And a lot of signs of, of Mm. God at work all Mm. all at the same time, uh, you know, our, our, our team, like, like, like churches everywhere has had to rally and get really creative and learn really quickly how to shift everything that we do to online platforms and, um, you know, it's just bizarre thinking about, you know, preaching to an empty sanctuary mm-hmm. on Easter Sunday uh, right, right. Uh, for the live stream services uh, like people are doing all over the place. But uh, it is where God has us right now. Yeah. And um, remarkably, our, our, our people have been incredibly engaged. They're reaching out to people. They're, quote unquote, inviting people to church, uh, you know, through the live stream accessibility and, um, it's been interesting as we've just watched engagement. We've had two to three times as many people participating uh, wow. in our services and also small group meetings that are happening through Zoom and, and similar platforms than 
than than ever before. And so um, we're just excited, I think, to to see what it all looks like in retrospect after yeah. this season comes to an end, and um, we start to hear the stories of of how God worked in people's lives through this you know disruptive time. But um, you know, the other thing is we're 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 spending a lot of energy and focus on what we can do to um, prepare to serve our neighbors after uh, social distancing season is over, because uh, we still have a city that's deeply affected by a major tornado that came right. through and hit right. some of the poorest communities in Nashville. And they've just been left without help because mm-hmm. of coronavirus and, and the inability to gather. And so, so we're trying to, you know, figure out what our role is in that as a, you know, community with, with resources and, right. and relationships to enable us to lean in there. So uh, we're kind of in a holding pattern uh, in terms of all that, but, but really eager to get back out into our city and, you know, um, be part of the rebuilding in ways that, that we're able to. That's remarkable. Well, Scott, Brian and I are both pastors here in Chicago as well. And one of the things that we've been trying to wrap our brains around is what does the church look like when we do eventually pull out of all of this? And I know that's like an impossible question, but I think you have a lot of insight into like the nature and function of the church. I'm wondering, what do you, what do you say to someone that asks that question? Like, how does this all look a year from now? What major shifts do you see happening or already having happened? And, and what is sort of your prediction for how the big C church and the local church expression looks once we're through yeah. all this? That's a great question. I I am a skeptic about the idea that, that everything's going to go online now. I, yeah. I think, I think that the more this lasts, the more we realize at least how um, insufficient hmm. zoom is to, to give you that, you know, thing that only being together can, can give you that, that okay. sort of incarnational ministry of presence and being yeah. with people and being able to touch each other and, and, um, you know, those sorts of things. And so I think, but I do think at the same time that technology is going, we're, we're all kind of refining uh, our ability to use technology well and in, in productive ways. And so I think that, that maybe online meetings and, and, and connection and, and so on will we'll probably see an uptick and some, some mm. refining in, in a positive way. But I also wonder if um, churches and ministries and businesses as well, as we've had to take this season to sort of strip down to the bare essentials of, mm. of ministry, uh, if maybe not, uh, if maybe this, this season might not be a, a season to assess, hey, what are some things that we can stop doing so we can, mm. we can do the essential things that much better and with that much more focus um, so I, I imagine that, 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 that things might, uh, that the idea of, of greater simplicity in the way that we do what we do, um, will emerge, um, as we see that, wait a minute, those things that we hit, hit pause on, right. um, do we really want to bring those things back or, or do right. we really want to keep leaning into the really fruitful things that, that. That, that we know are the essentials. And so, right. so I wonder if that might be part of what the future looks like, but you know, a lot of it's unknown. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, I wonder what, uh, how has this affected even your Easter preparation? Like your Easter, you've preached a lot of Easter's, I'm sure. How's the coronavirus, uh, all that we're going through, affecting even how you're approaching Easter this week? It's not affecting it at all. I'm going to show up and, and preach at church, and I'm preparing an Easter message. And, mm-hmm. and you know, whether we're, whether we're affected by coronavirus or not, or a plunging stock market or... Yeah you know, increasing, you know, spiking unemployment and all of that. Um, Every season we're in, people are broken and the mortality rate is one person for every one person. And, you know, there's always struggle, even in the robust times, uh, people are always struggling and people always need the message of hope that, that Easter uh, combined with Good Friday um, provide. And so, we're in many ways in terms of our messaging. It's, it's really, you know, the same as always. Uh, it's just the, the, the delivery mechanism is weird. Um, you know, <laughs> right. to, yeah. to, you know, the most, it's like, a pastor's worst nightmare to preach to an empty sanctuary on Easter <laughs> <Yeah>. Sunday, um, and and yet also doing so knowing that there are people all over our city that that are with us in that yeah. moment. You know, yeah. uh, we just can't see them. Uh, but it reminds me of that story in the Bible where, you know, the prophet Elijah thought he was all alone, and the Lord said, "Oh, there there's so many invisible realities and this 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 immense cloud of witnesses that you you have no idea." Yeah. Uh, how much, uh, you know, the Lord says to him, how much I'm supporting you. Uh, and so, you know, maybe this is a season for pastors, especially in our insecurities and fears to lean mm. into that, that the Lord, the Lord isn't taken aback or surprised by any of this. And, mm-hmm. and I think he's got some pretty remarkable surprises up his sleeve. Mm. Um, if I'm, if I'm kind of reading, reading the, Reading the signs well, um, you know, anecdotally, I, I think some really neat renewal revival stuff might emerge from this season. Well, Scott's going to stick with us for one more segment. But before we wrap up this one, Scott, I'm wondering, would you just take 30 seconds or so, just speak a word of hope or encouragement to the pastor or the church leader or just the Christ follower who is feeling like a little upside down about Easter this year? Would you just speak some hope and encouragement to them? Yeah, I mean, I'll speak the the encouragement that I speak to my own heart every single day when I'm, you know, hit with doubts and worries and and uncertainties. It's that, um, you know, welcome to the New Testament context. You know, every every book in the New Testament was written by somebody who who was in a position. Uh, of, of being behind, uh, in society, either writing letter, you know, letters from jail, if you're the apostle Paul or from, you know, a remote Island of exile, if you're John, uh, the beloved disciple, uh, or if you're Peter, uh, under intense persecution or the writer of Hebrews, intense persecution, um, you know, the, the best stuff that, that, that God has ever produced through the human race has come out of times of crisis and mm-hmm. scarcity mm-hmm. and, um, and setback. And, and so I would say that, you know, to people like myself, uh, to take heart that, that, you know, the one who is in us is greater than the one who's in the world. And mm-hmm. he's up to things that no eye has seen and no ear has heard just yet. 
but he's surely up to some things and Absolutely. and we can we can trust that um even when things look a little bit scary that's a good word. I think you can see why uh, Scott is probably the most quoted person on this show. And he's uh, kind enough to stick around with us for one more segment. That's Scott Sauls coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. That's where we post all of our articles and you can send us messages for suggestions for the show. We would really love for this show to serve you all well in whatever way that we can. You can also find us at 1160hope.com slash The Common Good on Twitter at Common Good Talk and wherever it is you get your podcasts. And we are so thrilled to have for a second segment the none other then the Right Reverend Scott Sauls from Nashville. Uh, he's an author. He's a pastor. I encourage you to check out scottsauls.com. And he did a, uh, an event, a Facebook Live event, that uh, I am so fascinated by. And rather than me explain it, Scott, could you just sort of tee up a little bit? What was that Facebook Live event all about? Uh, last night, it was a, I guess it was a friendly discussion uh, across the lines of difference between a Christian pastor and a Muslim leader. Hmm. And I was the Christian pastor. <laughs> and and still are, I think. is uh, That's good news. So I, the reason I'm so fascinated by that conversation, because I grew up in Dearborn, Michigan, which at least for a long time was the uh, largest Middle Eastern population per capita in the world outside of the Middle East. And my church has always just had a heart for how do we build bridges with uh, Muslim men and women in our community. And I'm wondering how did that conversation go what did you learn from it? Are there things that stood out to you that you think maybe our audience could really glean from? How was that experience for you? Well, um, uh, I, I wouldn't say that I learned this because it wasn't my first experience with it, but, but I, something I had already been learning was reinforced. And that is that in the same way that, uh, the vast majority of Christians don't want to be associated with extremists like the Ku Klux Klan who call themselves Christians. Right. The vast majority of Muslims don't want to be associated with extremists who call themselves mm-hmm. ISIS and Al Qaeda. And uh, in my personal experience, every Muslim that I've met and, and spent time with has been uh, a very kind person and uh, a very uh, curious person and um, uh, not uh, the caricature or the stereotypes that we see uh, or hear about uh, in, you know, some of the more uh, kind of shock jock uh, Christian platforms. so, um, you know, one of the main lessons is if, if, if the golden rule that Jesus gave to us is love your neighbor as yourself, um, you know, don't, don't caricature your neighbor in ways that you don't want to be caricatured. Hmm. Um, if, if you don't want to be associated with the Ku Klux Klan hmm. because you're a Christian, then be really careful about lumping all Muslims into the category of extremist uh, or terrorist, because it's just not true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's a good word. Scott, I was, uh, I, w- I would encourage everybody out there to pick up your book, Jesus outside the lines. Uh, it was very, 
uh, good one for me to read, especially around the uh, discussion of politics. And I know that you uh, have said a lot about politics on Twitter, specifically about becoming more Christian and not less Christian in our politics. Can you unpack that for people out there? Because most Christians love to run from politics, right? They want to get away from it. But you talk a lot about being Christian in our politics. Uh, could you expand on that a little bit? On the politics piece? Yeah, please. Um, I would say that um, we need to be very careful, especially as, as followers of Jesus. I don't assume your entire audience would, would, would identify that way, or maybe they, maybe they do. Um, but, you know, speaking especially to those who identify as followers of Christ, um, we have to remember, especially entering into what promises to be another heated election season, um, that the kingdom that we are first and foremost uh, committed to is a kingdom that's not of this world. And it's mm-hmm. the kingdom of Jesus, uh, whose kingdom uh, infiltrates every kingdom on earth, uh, because he's the God of every nation, tribe, and tongue. And his kingdom is going to be the only one that's left uh, when he returns and brings in the new heaven and the new earth, which says something about the way we ought to engage the political process right now. Right. Um, we ought to be really, really careful about becoming partisan in our mm. political positions and posturing. And by partisan, I mean leaning hard right and being a party person hard right or leaning hard left and being a party person hard left. I'm not sure that, that being a Christian uh, can be compatible with either one of those. Hmm. Uh, and the reason why I say that is you can, you can go to one part of town of our town, one zip code in Nashville, let's say Nashville or where you guys, Chicago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. One zip code in Chicago. Uh, you can walk into a church where, you know, everybody in the church will say, we are committed uh, to our deep belief that every word of the Bible is absolutely true and from God. Hmm. And we can't fathom how somebody could call themselves a Christian and call themselves a Tem- Democrat. Right. And you can go to another zip code in Chicago and you can find another church that, um, you know, all of its members say, we believe every word of the Bible is true and it's completely from God. And we can't fathom how somebody could call themselves a Christian and call themselves a Republican. Right. Uh, Which means that our politics uh, are largely shaped by our life experience and the culture and the zip code that Mm -hmm. we're part of. And so are our blinders. Our blinders Mm -hmm. are largely formed by the cultures that we are part of and the zip codes that we, that we live in. Um, so Christina Cleveland is a, she's a scholar at Duke Divinity School and she yeah. wisely says that the best way to understand our own blind spots is to get into a political conversation with a brother or sister in Christ whose politics are different than ours. Um, A lot can be exposed uh, in that way because we feel deeply about politics in the same way that we feel deeply about the kingdom of God. The problem is when we start to conflate 
the two as if human political systems are one and the same with the kingdom of God. When the fact of the matter is that the scriptures will come in and affirm certain things about blue state politics and affirm certain things about red state politics in in the same way that the scriptures will come in and critique certain things Hmm. about blue state and red state politics. And, and, and the telltale sign, one of the telltale signs that, that we are following a party more than we are following Jesus and that we're being discipled more by a political party than we are by Jesus is if our life ethic is not comprehensive. Hmm. Uh, if, if, if I, if I talk all day and, and with zeal and rightfully so about, you know, the cause of the immigrant and the refugee and, and the poor, uh, and minorities, et cetera. Um, but am unwilling to engage somebody who's in a different political place about the human rights of the unborn, yeah. then I'm following a party more than I'm following Jesus. Right. And at the same time, if, if I'm zealous and rightly so in defending the rights and protection of the unborn, uh, but I'm willing to ignore or exclude uh, or have less passion about immigrants and refugees and aliens and strangers and the poor and the marginalized and minorities and so on, then, then I'm showing too that I'm, I'm more concerned with following a party than I am with following Jesus functionally speaking. Um, And so uh, we need to be willing. I think somebody who's fully and faithfully following Christ is, is always going to feel a tension uh, including, and maybe even especially in their own political party. Hmm. Uh, I think it's important to realize too, that Matthew, the tax collector and Simon, the zealot were absolute political opposites. One was far left. One was far right. Right. One right. was a zealot. One was a tax collector. Right. And they both followed Jesus together, lived together as brothers, died together as martyrs, uh, three years together. Yeah. We have a lot of different instances where the Bible tells us that the, the, the disciples bickered with each other, but we don't have a single record of Matthew and Simon getting into a political spat. Wow. I think that's telling. I think it's also telling that Matthew is the only one of the four gospel writers that highlights the fact that Matthew was a tax collector. I think there's something to be learned from that. Yeah, that's really good. Scott, just as we wrap up, I know that you just wrote a blog on this, but like in a minute or less, could you just give us a word for Holy Week? Ah, Christ has died. Christ has risen. (laughs) Christ will come again. Thanks be to God. What other hope is there? Amen. Amen. Again, I can't encourage you enough to check out Scott Sauls at Scott Sauls on Twitter. ScottSauls.com is where he posts all of his blog writing and get his new book available June 2nd, A Gentle Whisper by Scott Sauls. Thank you again so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure, you guys. Have a great Easter. Thanks. Send me a link so I can share it. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. All right. Take care. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. This has been The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, it's Ian Simpkins here. And after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization this was. And it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church 
actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to, to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality was just their heart to give back to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously to be wise with money and live generously and that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them and so if you're interested in learning more I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today here's some weird stuff we found on the internet here's some more weird stuff we found on the web Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. It's the time of the show that some of you look forward to. Others of you, maybe you cringe, but you can't look away, so you're here anyway. Maybe uh, you've turned us off at this point and you're not hearing this disclaimer. Either way, it's interweb insanity, stories that we have not read, sound effects we have not heard, and uh, it's... It's usually a pretty fun time. It's not been as dark this week as other weeks have been. But before we get into that, I want to tell you about Thrivent. Thrivent Financial, Fortune 500 profit, not for profit. Oh, boy. (laughs) Not for profit. (laughs) Serving serving members for over 100 years. I've been a Thrivent member for a better part of a decade. Great organization. But if you're ever looking maybe to be your own boss or a career change of some kind, uh, Thrivent might be the right fit for you. You can go to Thrivent.com slash careers. That's Thrivent.com slash careers. Or you can call 630-598-2128. And I could not recommend enough that you do that. Just to say it again, uh, thank you all so much for supporting us, for loving us, for engaging with us on Facebook and on Twitter and via the podcast and all of that. We really, really do appreciate it. And uh, we're going to end with some laughs because, you know, why not? We could use some. So, Brian Fromm, why don't you kick us off? Yep. First one's at a New York State goat rescued from New York State Highway overpass. Police and firefighters responded to an overpass in New York State to rescue a goat that fled into the beams and suspended under the bridge. The New York State police said troopers and the Maynard Fire Department responded Wednesday afternoon to an overpass on Route 49 in Marcy. Authorities were alerted when a woman spotted the goat standing uh, into the grass uh, saw spotted the goat standing into the grass next to Route 49 exit and attempted to approach the animal, but it fled under the bridge. The woman flagged down the fire department who attempted to block the goat from fleeing, but the animal managed to get into the support beams under the bridge. The photo is pretty cute, though. I will say that. It is. Yes, it is. All right. India Museum unveils Corona car shaped like coronavirus. Y'all oh, no. need to see this photo. What is happening? Uh, An Indian car museum unveiled the Corona car, a coronavirus-shaped vehicle with six wheels that can reach a top speed of 25 (laughs) miles an hour. Oh, boy. So the uh, museum in the city, oh, boy. That you can't say. Baha Dupura said he designed the vehicle, which is shaped like the coronavirus when viewed under a microscope, to raise awareness of measures to slow the spread of COVID-19 during the global pandemic. The spread of COVID-19 has to be contained. I have designed the car in the shape of the virus, which is depicted popularly so that awareness can be spread on social distancing by the public. You are so dumb. You are really dumb. For real. That would be a terrifying car to see coming towards you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you just got to stay six feet away from it. Yes. Next one's out of Georgia. Georgia Bar pays unemployed staff with dollar bills stapled to the wall. A Georgia bar owner said a tradition of customers stapling dollar bills to the business's walls is allowing her to distribute $3,714 to her now out-of-work staff. 
Jennifer Knox, owner of the Sandbar in Tybee Island, said customers have been writing their names and other messages on dollar bills and stapling them to the walls inside the bar for the past 15 years. Knox said she was inside the empty bar in March after the business closed due to the coronavirus lockdown measures when she came up with a way to help her unemployed staff. We're sitting there, doors locked, and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's money on the walls and we have time on our hands. We got to get this money down. She said it took three days to remove all the bills. I heard you guys do the same thing at your church. Is that right? We do. We just staple money to the walls. (laughs) That's how you you do the offering. That's smart. And then on payday, Uh, I just, I open the door and tell the staff have at it. That's what we do. Perfect. (laughs) Perfect. All right. Out of Utah, man amasses collection of about 2,000 board games. We are really reaching now, aren't we? Utah man who owns about 2,000 board games said he's taking aim at getting a Guinness World Record for his collection. Why? Why would you... David Brisbilla, professor of marketing at Utah Valley University, said he started collecting board games in 2008 after a co-worker introduced him to a tile-building game called... What is that game? Carcass? Carcassonne? I don't, I don't know what it is. Car- Carcassonne? Carcassonne. I don't know. From that moment on, I was hooked. I loved it. Uh, from there on, I just said, okay, I'm going to start collecting these and playing. He said his collection now includes about 2,000 games, but he has only actually played about... Two percent of his collection. <laughs> wow, that's a lot of boxes. Last one's out of Maine. Uh, Stephen King is aware of your COVID nineteen comparisons. Stephen King <laughs> would like to apologize for writing fiction so realistic that you now feel as though you're living on the page. He said, "I keep having people say, gee, it's like we're living in a Stephen King story,' and my only response to that is, I'm sorry." King told NPR. The author, who wrote about a pandemic of a strain of influenza that wiped out almost all humans on Earth in his 1978 novel, The Stand, says a real, much less severe pandemic was, quote, bound to happen eventually. And that doesn't mean he can predict the future. But there are people who have those special type powers, at least in his new book, If It Bleeds, a collection of short stories centers on Holly Gibney, a private investigator with an apparent supernatural ability who's appeared in several novels since her introduction in the in the 2014s. Miss Mercedes. They just cheated us! This isn't fair! He didn't get out of the cock-a-doody car! Now, you really emphasize that Miss and the Miss Mercedes there. Yeah. Right? I, I got to the point where I didn't know what I was reading anymore. That's <laughs> <laughs> usually like the danger of this segment is I feel the same way. I'm like, I'm not even sure I'm saying real words anymore. You're just I'm like, done. <laughs> trying to string them together. Well, we both do really mean it. It's a highlight of our day to still be able to do this show. Yes. And we're so grateful for all of you. We hope that you're staying well and safe this holy week. We're praying for you and we would love to hear from you. If you think there's anything we can do on the show to improve it, uh, for Brian Fromm, I'm Ian Simpkins. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.